0: Hey guys, what's up? Flick City, episode 75. I have two films from RLJE Films. They are Cebo and The Friendship Game, both horror, thriller, movies. On a surface level, you can enjoy both of these films on an aesthetic, scared to your teeth or whatever level, which is good. But each of these films have... Struck a personal resonance for me in, so maybe I'm looking a little bit too into the matter re- regarding both these films, but for, I was glad I was able to interview the director of Nocebo, that is Lorkin Finnegan, and also the director of the friendship game, and that is Scooter Corkle. Now I'm going to break down both of these films, and then the first section you're going to get is the Nocebo interview with Lorkin, and then the friendship game direct, the friendship game interview with Scooter Corkle. Now, What's good about both of these movies, for our Cinematics Patreon feed, both these filmmakers discussed the end of their movie in detail. So if you see this, these movies in theaters on digital or on demand, that'll be cool. Whether you love them or not, at least you will have, for, the, for, for our Patreon feed, you will have their actual discussion on their interpretation of the ending, their inspiration behind the ending, on a historical level, it's really value-added for you guys to listen to the to Lorcan's take on the ending of Nocebo, and then also for the friendship game, the ending is very... It says it's linear in a sense, but there are very different ways you can take the ending as well regarding the friendship game, and Scooter discusses that layered ending as well. So the Patreon stuff, the spoiler stuff is something I'm trying to build up for our community in cinematics and find your film, the ending of, a, of these movies, the discussions therein of these films. I, I have access to these actors and filmmakers. So it's great on our, to actually wall this up for our Patreon subscribers. The, the, uh, the, I guess that, yeah, I mean, it's good. It's a good thing. Check out our Patreon and we have a bonus episode with me and Anderson every month. This month we're doing, we're covering the year 1989. He texted me this morning regarding cousins, was asking me about why I picked the Joel Schumacher film Cousins with, I think it's starring who's starring? Yes, t- starring Ted Danson and, and Isabella Rossellini. And the reason I texted him back: Well, when I was in, I think it was yeah, it was released nineteen eighty nine. I was eighteen years old. First time I saw it, obviously when you're eighteen, wherever you're at, I, I I was a very naive, romantically idealistic Filipino Thai American at UCLA, and I was I saw a screening of it. If I recall a very romantic film, loved it, loved Rossellini in the film, and I was uplifted by the movie. Now, I haven't seen it since 1989 because it had a huge power over me back then. Now, as a disgruntled, sad, 51-year-old blogger, podcaster, Anderson Cowan, court jester, right hand man to Anderson Cowan and Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes, a very sad nanny, nanny dude, yeah, Maybe I might think of Cousins in a different way. That's part of our bonus episode. And also, Anderson had a choice as well. It escapes me at the moment, I believe. It wasn't Heathers, and it wasn't... I was thinking Marty. He had some other choice for... One second, one second. Cousins was my pick. And it's not Deadpool Society. It's Gleaming the Cube. Yes, I believe it's Gleaming the Cube. So... That is what we're covering for the year 1989 for a bonus episode, Gleaming the Cube and Cousins, I believe. I, I hope he didn't pick UHF. That was his other idea, but I, I was all about Gleaming the Cube. So if you're interested in that and Cousins and our discussion there, therein, then just join our cinematics group as well as listening to the endings from the filmmakers on Nocebo and the friendship game. Now, before I get into these interviews, I will, I have a time code. On our descriptions, on our podcast description. So you don't, you don't, you can skip this entire boring intro to cinematics and just get right into the meat of the matter regarding both these films. Now, Nocebo, I'm a little bit late on posting this. So it came out in theaters on November 4th, last Friday. And yeah, it's for a lot of you, if you don't see it this week in theaters, you might be able, um, you might be able, it will be available on digital and on demand November 22nd. And it stars Evergreen. And Mark Strong, they play a well-to-do couple, Eva or Eva Green. I, Eva Green is pronounced by Lorcan Finnegan during the interview, so I'm going to pronounce it Eva. So, Eva Green, she plays a fashion designer, and she's not exactly the greatest mom. They both have a, they have a really w- wonderful daughter. She's maybe six or seven years old, and at the beginning of the movie, and they should be they should be happy. They both have their respective careers, and I believe Mark Strong's character is a marketing research analyst or something he has a high paying really good job they're both well to do but it starts off with them arguing on who is picking up the daughter from school or who's bringing the daughter to school and you can tell right then and there a lot of the, the parents are not exactly the most perfect parents and also the mother is probably even less nurturing than the father that's the first impression you're gonna get and then it immediately within maybe the next the next 10 to 12 minutes, you realize that this fashion designer she has a breakdown during one of her runway shows. She is a fashion designer for children, and because she has a breakdown, she sees some kind of dog with wild eyes. It doesn't even—it looks like a dog, but it might be a, some kind of evil spirit or creature. And this leaves her in a very interesting mental state. She is very and she's sick. She might be have a disease, and she's trying to figure out what's going on. Enter a Filipino nanny played by. Chai Funacie and or Funacie, however you pronounce the name, but Chai Funacie is a Philippine actress, and she's fantastic in this movie, and it's great because I don't, unless you're, I think, Lou Diamond Phillips or Vanessa Hudgens, there's not many Filipino actors in prominent roles in movies, and as a Filipino Thai American, it's great to see someone, a Filipina, a Penai, in a very prominent role in Osibo. Anyways, Chai, she plays the maid maid slash nanny to this well-to-do family and she ingratiates herself into the world and this Filipino nanny tells the fashion designer, hey, basically trust me and my spiritual and holistic healings and you will be rid of your diseases, your mental illness, etc, etc and all you've got to do is trust me. So that is the premise behind Nocebo, again directed by Lorcan Finnegan and written by Garrett Shanley. Very interesting movie and it's I really enjoyed it. I, a lot, along with the Filipino representation, I really loved where this movie went regarding how it treated a certain event in, in Filipino history. Also, it was very respectful to the cultures, to the culture as well. And as a horror thriller, or mainly a thriller, it worked for me on many levels. And it ends up being also a social drama. So high marks for me regarding Hucibo. Now, the friendship game, here's a good thing. It's in theaters this Friday. So I'm not late on that. It's in theaters this Friday, November 11th. It's as well if you don't catch it on theaters, it's on it's also available on digital and on demand. And The Friendship Game is a very simple story on the surface. centers on a group of seniors, they're graduating high school, and they're now in the summer before they go off their into their respective ways. They are very, very close friends, and they come across the the main one of the one of the teenagers played by Peyton List, she comes across an interesting object, this very interesting object in some kind in a garage sale that it's a game. It's called a friendship game. It's, it looks like a really interesting steel ornament or ornate ornament. And what happens is when you have your friends, you play the game, you have to actually answer the question of what is your deepest desire? And if you don't tell the truth, if you don't, if you're not honest with your friends, then this friendship game will put you and your friends to the test. And if you fail this test of the friendship game, you will die. So that is a premise of the friendship game. Some really good performances as well. I, I said during the interview that there's a little bit of a bittersweet ache for this because it brought me back 30 years ago, back when I was watching cousins and at UCLA and realizing my first year of UCLA of all the people that is, that um yeah i i was realizing all of the people that i've lost even within several months not lost as in they they left me they died but just the friends i lost in high school just because i lost contact with them so that is a very both of these movies really have interesting have an interesting personal connection with the way i view the movie so maybe i was again maybe i was over analyzing both films and i should have just enjoyed them as a movie fan but no they just both both struck me on a on a personal way and the friendship game if you look at the trailer or obviously in this podcast you're listening to it it seems like a straight ahead horror thriller but who knows i'm, I'm i think a lot of you will see different kind of layers Behind the friendship game so that's it i'm done i i hear my mother calling downstairs i i have food awaiting me for my gullet but hopefully would love to hear what you think of nocebo or the friendship game both of these are rlje films releases again nocebo came out november 4th hits uh digital and on demand november's 22nd and the friendship game november 11th in theaters, on digital, on demand. I'm going to shut up right now. First up, Lorcan Finnegan, and then we're going to close out the episode with the Friendship Games. let Corkal. All right, guys. Take care. Love you. Bye.
1: Don't be brilliant. Love Bye. Lucky me win and never lose have you been anywhere christine after everything hi hello christine
0: sorry do we know each other i'm here to help you you sent for me God, it's quite something to forget nice to meet
1: you Diana. hello bobs only my friends call me bobs straight to work eh
0: I make it go away.
1: This is a folk remedy, right? It
0: feels like the fog has lifted. It's not forever. I'm so happy. I will be with you. Always. times you can get led astray
1: I need you to trust me my meds are gone
2: she's controlling you
0: I'm not the one who needs to control
2: stay out of my wife's head
0: if her problems are in her head I will find them and chase them out why would she lie Bow me in. And you will be free. Logan, how are you this morning?
2: Hey, great. Good, thanks. How are you?
0: Great. You know what? I'm Filipino-American, part Filipino, part Thai, and I've been reviewing films for over maybe 30 plus years. First time, I think, maybe because my knowledge of world cinema is is pretty much horrible, but this is the first time I've actually seen a prominent Filipino actor in a movie, (laughs) not including Lou Diamond Phillips. But can you just speak to that? I mean, obviously that wasn't a conscious effort. It comes from, it's based on uh, Inspired by True Story as well. But can you just talk about having someone who, you know, having that kind of representation in in your narrative?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting uh, journey. I mean, it wasn't even necessarily uh the plan at the beginning of this process we started um with an interest in the and placebos and sleep paralysis that's kind of how the, the the project began um by reading this book called um sleep paralysis placebos and placebos and the mind-body connection it was like quite a, a academic kind of study and we were interested in how that linked shamanism and how shamanism um, it in cuz we started the project you know just as uh, i'm the irish director and uh, Garrett chanley the writer's irish and how in ireland we were pagan originally um and animist uh, the same as uh, thailand or the uh, a lot of well some, certain parts of the philippines um and um we had these women who were these kind of powerful women in society who were the uh, healing women or wise women um, and they kind of got, with the introduction of uh, Christianity, um, and then later by being colonized by the British, they kind of got pushed aside and uh, made redundant in society, more or less, you know, and the patriarchy kind of took over. So we're interested in in the connections between shamanism, um, colonialism, and exploitation, actually. So then we were... Um, We started. The more we researched into placebos and placebos, we discovered that um, there's still a very strong tradition in um, Cebu of like faith healing, Um, and in and and there's a neighbouring island called Sekuhor, which is you know dubbed the island of the witches. It's uh, it has like an annual festival of of faith healers, and um, there's practitioners of kulam there, like black magic and um and everything so we so garrett and i got a little bit of a um a research grant And we went to cebu and we went to sequahor we hooked up with a local producer there who kind of brought us on a, a kind of research recce uh trip and we met um we met witch doctors and practitioners of kulam and uh tribal chiefs of the atti and bajau tribes as well um and kind of just just kind of dug into the stories and belief systems. And and we had this thing, Bulu, Bulu, which is in the film, um, which is where they put the pebble into the glass jar and blow around you. You know, so the, the guy who do it is a shaman, you know, he blow bubbles in a jar and then uh, show you the water and the water would be dirty. And then he, he'd empty it, refill it and keep doing it until the water became clear and There was a queue of people to see this guy, you know, and um, like to us, it's a placebo. You know, you're visualizing the illness in you being removed. So therefore you feel better. But if you really believe in it, it works. So, you know, no harm. These people walk away feeling great. So um, after that trip, we decided there was definitely a good story here. We also visited like garment factories and stuff like that in Cebu City. So we put together a pitch and I pitched the projects in Macau in China to try and find producers, uh, co-producers from the Philippines. So um, Epic Media were, were there as well, pitching projects and they heard our pitch and we heard their pitch and we got on very well. Um, they're based in Manila, uh, Brad and Bianca. So then we decided to, uh, collaborate and do it as a Irish Filipino co-production, and try and we were you know try and make it as authentic as possible, you know, um, to the to the folklore. So um, we also had we, we I, I wanted to make sure that uh, Diana as character she was she was written to be uh, from Cebu City uh, or to have grown up there anyway. So we um, started, and there's a different dialect there, it's that people speak. So we started casting for this actor who'd be from there. And um, Brad and Bianca had worked with um, Chai before. So they suggested Chai along with a bunch of other actors. And uh, there's a lot of self-tapes and stuff. And then, but uh, Chai's tape was just amazing. She totally nailed it. She had this kind of, um, she had this performance where she, Say something slightly unnerving, but then give a big smile afterwards, which makes you think that everything's okay. And then she'd say something creepy again. And then she'd smile, <laughs> you're like, you just don't know how to take her, you know. Um so um Chaya and and Bianca and Brad had worked with a writer um from Cebu also called Ara Chaudhary. Um so we brought her on to work with Garrett as well and me to kind of make sure that all of the scenes set in the Philippines were authentic to Cebu, uh, like the Buddha's Disco and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and Diana's dialogue um, and the spells that Diana says. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then we brought on, a, me and Chai had a, a kind of consultant shaman called Bong, who's like a quantum shaman, uh, who read the script then and went through all of the, the stuff with us to make sure that it was all pretty accurate, really, and to make sure that we weren't going to curse ourselves while making the film, um, you know, covering up the props between takes of the black cloth and um, Chai's driver in the morning had to take her on a route that wouldn't pass by any graveyards um, all this kind of, all this kind of stuff. So it was, it was great. It was really uh, really interesting uh, journey and interesting uh, cultural um, education. And, you know, now we're friends with them. Um, a bunch of uh, dudes in the philippines forever
0: you know to, to that point I, and i know this is going off track but w- regarding the production of your film but I remember years ago interviewing Scott Glenn for Apocalypse Now, and he was talking about even though his role wasn't big, he wanted to actually live in the Philippines with a yeah. tribe. I believe they're called the Ifagao tribe. And he said that was a pretty much life changing experience for him. And it's like an experience that even to, to this day, when I interviewed him, he said he, he still looks back on with, uh, you know, fondness and reverence and it made an impact in his life. Just for your re- research, you and Garrett, just can you just talk about in general, was that? impactful for both of you as artists as well just not just shaping the narrative but just living and and just being part of that atmosphere and environment for for a spell
2: yeah totally i mean i think you you know you could sit there and use your imagination but it's never the same as going there and um i mean i've been to i spent a good bit of time in southeast asia and asia over the years traveling and stuff but um but Garrett hadn't been to Southeast Asia at all. And uh, just, you know, to experience the the sounds and the noise and the smells and the heat and the humidity and um, all of it, you know, it ends up inspiring the story, the kind of things you'd see, the colours and the food, everything. It all kind of um, gets absorbed. Um, so, and, and from my perspective, it was, yeah, I mean, like even... You know, there was no scene with a cave in the film, but we went into like a holy cave in um in Cebu, uh which kind which of go under uh underground for quite a while with a kind of river. And then at the and at the bottom of the cave, there was like a, a stone where water had been pouring over for, for you know thousands of years, presumably, and it'd been calcified and it was really white. And that's where um people would collect the water from it to do uh, certain spells so just being in a cave ended up being uh inspiring the 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 scene where Diana's in the cave playing the xylophone um and the even the xylophone came from uh um so you know the people can make spells on like by using just plastic toys and stuff like that um, and we saw that in in a couple of uh, a couple of places that we visited too.
0: you know so, over the years I'm um, sorry, over the years interviewing Green and Strong and watching their work, I just really love how both of them as actors are very detail oriented. Is that one of the many reasons why casting them, you know, as the matriarch and patriarch were pretty much an, a no brainer
2: for you as a filmmaker? Mark and Ava.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, um, I thought Ava would be great at playing Christine um, because she needed to have these extremes as well of looking like fabulous and looking wrecked. Um, and also, being strong, but also being able to be play quite vulnerable, um, and yeah, it, we offered her the the role. Sent her the script. She read it pretty quickly. She came on board, um, and then she came on first. And we we had a um, a good bit of collaboration. During the process, like, you know, just enhancing her character and the scenes that she's in and just making uh, making the script better, basically, uh, with her help. Um, and Mark, I had uh, met about nine months before he'd seen my previous film, Vivarium. Um, someone had sent him uh, a link, I think, and uh, he really liked it and just wanted to have a general chat with me. He wanted to meet. So we we had a good call. And uh, then when this was ready, I was—I didn't tell him at the time when I was talking to him—but the seed was planted that he could be good as uh, as Felix. So um, Ava agreed, and then uh, Mark came on board. Yeah, so it was—I think— together with Chai, there's a really interesting dynamic, and they all have really interesting faces as well, to me anyway.
0: Morgan, thank you. So, you thank you so much for your time. Really
2: loved your film. So all right, thanks. Thanks, man. It's great talking to you. Pleasure. Take care. It's a game, a friendship game. If your friendships don't survive it, neither do you. Ten dollars. All we have to do is put our fingertips on it and each share our deepest innermost desire. if it's a game. Like, how do you win? We win by staying friends. <laughs> College, job, family. We're already getting sucked into these things that we're supposed to do or be. I just hope that we can break out of that reality. I want this summer to last forever. for years it's not some lost puppy maybe this is a whole part of it
0: maybe we are just the only one dumb enough to believe it we can fix this we're still friends are we
1: this game i'm over it
0: listen it was a test
1: If your friendships don't survive, neither do you.
2: We can play again, right?
1: You never should
2: play that game.
0: Uh, No, scooter. One of the one of the most, uh, I guess not not. I don't know. I don't even know if I want to say traumatic, but one of the most memorable times for me was the idea of senior year going into UCLA, realizing that the friends I had and were so close to, I had maybe ten or fifteen friends. Mm. Upon the realization, even at seventeen, going on eighteen, that these friendships really wouldn't last, even though that beautiful golden summer tries to seduce you into saying something otherwise <laughs> yeah. uh, was was that a main attraction for you just to tap into maybe who you were way back when is that one of the ingredients behind why this was a, a very appealing project for you
1: yeah absolutely I mean being a teenager and leaving high school during high school you know you're still full of hormones and um it's such a stressful time for you you're still trying to figure out what being trying to figure out if you're even an adult yet which you don't Not you, 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 aren't, (laughs) um, at that age. Um, and the fact that like your, uh, your classmates, your friends, they're your lifeline, they're everything to you. Um, your parents don't understand you. The school system is just a pressure upon you. Um, and when you separate from that time, kind of to your, your point is like, it can feel like life and death. Um, and those are the stakes that you feel emotionally i think at that age and then with the approach to this movie yeah absolutely i mean that's what happens if the stakes are life and death that's a fascinating place to start a horror movie in my opinion
0: i think on an aesthetic level can you just talk about me or maybe it's superficial even asking this but just the actual item itself how much thought Mm. was was put into it because um I, i i really it's something that that really stuck with my mind was there a lot more thought than put into it or was it just sort of by happenstance regarding building that.
1: No, we I mean we had to put a lot of thought into it just to understand what it was going to be. Um we spent like Damien wrote that into the script and it was it was always this orb and there was you know different pieces of it that were made from wood and iron and all these different places. Um and we kind of wanted to dive down into that a little bit deeper and figure out why that was the case, um what this machine does or this mechanism does. Um, So working with our production designer uh, richard simpson a lot of that conversation became about his love of ancient civilizations and just these um these items and these elements that people find that feel well beyond the time when you track it down to thousands of years ago it just seems like it's um you know far more mechanically sound than it should be for that era uh he's always been fascinated by that so that sort of became our place to start was what if this object if you could track it through different eras? um this object has always existed and never existed it's it's as infinite as time and space um so each concurrent layer has its own language um and it's made of a different substance um so we've taken from you know from latin and from um aramaic and uh, a few other different languages and created this sort of like our own alien language um, it's not necessarily alien it could be sort of anything um, and then built it so each different layer, when it's spinning, it speaks to itself. And that's what opens up this sort of like alternate reality, sort of not not necessarily a portal, but, you know, portal-ish sort of existence. But uh, yeah, that that's sort of the, the inkling behind it, was that it is this Lovecraftian object that has existed uh, as long as the Big Bang, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Can you also speak to the fact that the Friendship Game is not just an A to B horror thriller mm-hmm. meaning every single uh, cinephile will will have his or her imp- interpretation regarding what happens to the ending if the object itself is a force of evil or a force of neutrality maybe there is value added in being honest with people can you just talk about the ambiguity mm-hmm. behind your film it's not just a um a surface level uh, narrative
1: yeah and i mean thank you for thank you for that um that is something that we actually tried to incorporate the, the ambiguity, I think, is is important to the story. It isn't, you know, this evil demigod that is attacking these children, um, these children, these teenagers. Um, it is literally just a mechanism. It isn't sentient. It just is triggered by your deepest desire. And then just a game board comes about. So it, it really is based on not necessarily like a creature feature, like a monster In that sense, it is about the monster within. So everything sort of sparks from character. You know, if your friendships don't survive the game, neither do you. That puts all the onus on the characters themselves. And that's where the horror comes from. It comes from an emotional place. Um, So, you know, that becomes a sort of elevated genre movie, not necessarily, as you were calling it, an A to B um, horror movie, for sure. Yeah, I, thank I also you, thank you for noticing that. That's
0: really yeah. No, no <laughs> worries. I also liked, um, you know, obviously from the uh, uh, from Cobra Kai, I'm a huge fan of Peyton, but mm-hmm. I, I really liked your assemblage of your ensemble. You, for you have to make sure that they're just not actors on a page; that they actually get along with each other. But there's also that tipping point where you know there is a level of even though they're close, there could always be that edge where tension can can enter how do you do that as far as putting all those you said game board i'm not saying they're pieces but how do you put all those elements together and making sure they work together not just as friends but as uh, counterpoints to each other as well
1: yeah um i think a lot of that's in damien's script um damien ober's script definitely has all of that stuff sort of woven within um and it's what attracted me to it in the first place was that it was a character piece um, that happened to have all this wild alternate universe horror stuff, um, but with the cast themselves, I mean, casting is to me the most important part of any movie, um, and it took us a while to kind of land our cast. But it, it, I like to give the cast themselves the freedom to completely inhabit the character. So when I'm doing casting, I'm not looking for a specific thing. Um, I'm just looking to be surprised by what they're giving me. And if it is something that feels organic and full of life, that's where I want to go. And then I want them to just, you know, collaborate in a way where they give me that and I just follow the um, or at least lead the uh the emotion of the story, the arc. Um and our cast ended up being really good friends. Like they're still good friends together. And I think you can see that on screen. It's pretty cool.
0: So after watching this movie, there, there's actually a sequence of them uh, obviously you know this, but we're Peyton's character, she's looking at a mirror and she's Mm. disoriented. But the bottom line is she's actually by looking at either her reflection or where she is, there's a, she's taking a long, hard look at herself. And Mm. after watching this film, I'm going to go check out Hollow in the Land. And if you could look at these two films and look Mm. at yourself in the mirror, is there a connecting thread between these two films? Or have you, do you do so much work anyway and you're moving forward that you're not gonna put yourself on that couch
1: uh it's a fascinating question um definitely one I haven't had before uh the I don't know if I look in the mirror over both films i mean they they both have um a sense of uh being abandoned, a, a feeling for the lead characters of feeling abandoned and having to come to terms with that um there there's definitely a theme there um within within my own you know my own life um, having like divorced parents and all that sort of stuff. Um, that has come through in my work a lot, uh, for sure. But I don't know. I think, I think a lot of it is really, if I could look in the mirror, it is about, I think in general, my movies might be about forgiveness. Um, and they might be just as much about forgiving the people around you, um, as much as forgiving yourself, um, and just realizing that you are flawed and you are human um if i if i could take anything away it's probably that but you haven't seen hollow so you don't 100 percent know what i'm talking about but well i will get it's a big part of it
0: i will get back to you in about a year and a half and i'll give you my my impressions (laughs) you're you're accurate now uh very quickly a couple of final questions you could have made the friendship game we're talking about a to b you could have made it more palatable and pleasing and just round the board but you didn't want to do that i mean can you just mm-hmm. talk about that aesthetic choice because you're making you're actually making it more specified and there is a this bittersweet ache to your movie when you're watching it because if you're really thinking beyond the surface um yeah talk about that as opposed as opposed to making it just a violent exercise coming of age thing that will appeal to mm-hmm. a mass audience because that's a huge fork in the road here
1: Hmm. yeah i don't i don't I mean, I'm not super interested in heroes and in villains. I'm, I'm more interested in the nuance between. Um, I love a good splatter movie. I love a, a good creature feature. Um, but I think my favorite films kind of don't find their genre. They're, they're somewhere in between. And it, and it is about the nuance of human flock. Um, And the fact that we don't have everything figured out and there isn't a black and white winner, loser, um, hero, villain, it's that we're all complex creatures trying to figure things out. And I think to the earlier conversation around forgiveness, I think that's where I stand as a a human. Um, And then that transfers into being an artist is that I want to tell stories about flawed people and I want people to understand them. Um, to sort of like stigmatize uh, being, making mistakes, you know, and, and being flawed and trying to, you know, live your life as n- not in the sense that you need to be sort of taken down a peg for making a mistake. It's, it's, you make mistakes, you grow from it. It's the only way we grow from it. Um, so I feel like that's where a lot of my storytelling comes from. For sure. So, in in that sense, this movie is a cosmic horror movie for sure. Um, we do lean into the genre, but I think at its core is heart and and humanity. Um, and I don't. I never thought I'd be talking about such a deep exploration on on the characters on on a horror movie. But that's those are the the projects that I'm the most interested in. Um, so yeah, why why isn't it a straightforward A to B? I'm just I'm not super interested in that, to be honest.
0: Yeah. My final question is a superficial question, but wanted to ask you, you're talking about movies that you appreciate. They don't have a specific genre. They're finding their way through the narrative. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. Can you name one of your all time favorite movies and what is it about this specific film that resonates with you? I I could say as a filmmaker, but just as a, as a just nerdy movie fan, you know, as
1: well. Yeah. Yeah. Smartly, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, there's a thousand different movies um that I love. I, I really love a good drama drama. Um, I think, you know, so- there will be blood is one of the best movies of all time. Um I'm a, I'm a big PTA fan. Um but as far as like a real favorite film, that's a really tough question. And as far as like genre's concerned, I think it, it comes with what my mood is at the time, I think. You know. Um for for this film, you know, I, I really like what Ari Aster's doing. Um I really like what Robert Robert Eggers is doing. I love, like, It Follows. Um, there's this wave of Americana horror that is thoughtful and character-focused um, and is an elevated genre movie. Like, that, those are the movies that are really attracting me currently. The Wailing, I think, is an incredible movie. Um, it's Korean, and it's so surprising. If you haven't seen The Wailing, like, it, it jumped into my top 10 um, last year when I saw it for the first time, and I was just... Yeah. Yeah, I was staggered by it, but yeah, I love Audition. I think is the first movie I ever like, first um, like Japanese or Asian horror movie I'd ever watched in film school. Audition, Takashi Taka, uh, Taka, uh, Miki's
0: movie. Yeah, Miki. Miki's great. Yeah.
1: Oh man, it it just it dropped me on my knees. It was so I was so scared, and I was just so interested in what was going on. And I started gobbling up all that stuff, like um, getting into the old boy and and the whole Korean yeah. movement. And man. Yeah, there's just there's a lot of those elevated pictures that come from a place of heart and come from a place of of, uh, character that I can I could watch forever. You know, those are those are definitely the influences that I love.
0: Sure, thank you so much for your time. After watching Hollow in the Land, will I have to wait another couple of years before your next film? Or are you gonna go on that Takashi Mike clip and have a movie every year? <laughs> you know, because um I fear after if I end up really enjoying Howl in the Land, I'm gonna say when when is your next movie coming out? So
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see who gives me money. That's really the, <laughs> that's the long and short of an indie movie, right? Yeah. Um or an indie film career. But yeah, there's a lot in the, in the pipeline right now. So hopefully, hopefully one takes.
0: Okay. Looking forward to our next one. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Yes. Thank you. Appreciate it.